if you love the Lord and you don't care who knows it, come on, clap your hands and give God big praise. Well, let's try it again. If God's been real good to you, clap your hands and give him big praise. This is the day the Lord has made, and we have come to rejoice and be glad in it. If you think you're one of God's favorite, come on, give him bigger praise. <laughs> glad to be in the service of the Lord one more time. Glad to be at One Community Church. Thank God for my friend and brother who deserves every break he takes because he's one of the hardest working pastors I know. That's Dr. Conway Edwards. Come on, give God praise for him. I have family here. My mama is here, y'all. Stand up, mama. Would y'all give God praise for my mama, my aunts, my uncles? Come on, give God praise for them. Wave your hands. Stand up. Come on, give God praise for them worshiping with us today. Amen. Uh, let's pray and let's go straight to the word of God. God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for all your hand has provided. You are great and greatly to be praised. There really is nobody like you. We're in awe of you. Thank you for this worship experience, and we thank you for your word. I pray that you hide me behind the shadows of the cross, behind your glory, and you be glorified. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. We need to hear what it is you have to say. To the end, that souls are saved and lives are changed, and that all that takes place here in this moment, if you're glorified, will be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the book is Matthew. The chapter is 5. The verse it's 23, 24, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Um, when you found it, say amen. Matthew 5, 23, 24. If you got it, say amen. All right, let's go. It says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, mm -hmm. leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. What do I want to talk about? Make it right. Look, look at somebody on the left or right of you and say, make it right. Now, you already know the rule. You know how this goes. I'm going to preach and you're going to say. But there's something else you already know. I want you to look down your row. Just look down your row right quick. Look, look down your row. Tell them, if you're going to stay on this row, you got to help the preacher. You already know that. You already know that. So I, I want to talk to you about something right quick, and um, then we'll move on. Um, lean in. Let's have a conversation. Um, I have this problem with cell phones. It's a real bad problem. It's so bad that I know all of the repair shops in town, in my city, and surrounding areas. Because if there's a way to break a cell phone, I find it. I don't care what case I put on it. I don't care what screen protector I put on it. I don't care how many lifetime warranties they give me. I guess I have nine lives because I've outlived all of those lifetime warranties. And I find a way to break the phone. If I'm in the gym, I break the phone. When I'm riding my horse, I break the phone. 
Uh, if I'm just sitting at my desk, I break the phone. It is unreal how often I break a phone. As a matter of fact, I break the phone so often that I'm going into this repair shop so often that the last time I went, they had a profile of me in their system. I gave them my name, and they said, hey, Mr. Alexander, welcome back. And uh, <laughs> they're fixing the phone, and I'm always there. I know the one in Jacksonville, Arkansas. I know the one in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I know where the one is in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Why, my phone has been at all of them on occasion or two. I'm always breaking a phone. It's ridiculous how much I break a phone. I mean, not, not a little chip. I don't even take it in for that. I'm talking about shattered. But out of all my trips to uh, the repair shop, I've always opted to go to the repair shop. Guess where I've never gone with my phone? To the trash can. Every time I break it, every time it's damaged, I always choose repair shop over trash can. Some days I've looked at it, Preacher Alexander, and it's looked like it needed the trash can. I mean, it, you couldn't even open it. It was so fractured and shattered. But I've always chosen to go to the repair shop over and against the trash can. There's reason for that. Because regardless of how damaged my phone is, the value of my phone is far more important than the damage to it. The damage is, the damage is, is bad, but the value is so much more. And so because of the value, and because, because you know how much these phones cost, it's always more advantageous for me to have it repaired than to just have it thrown away. If I know that about a phone, certainly we have to know that about our relationships with one another. Because many of us have the habit, unlike me and my cell phone, and that is that when our relationships on earth are damaged, it's so much easier for us just to throw them away. And so often we will opt to go to the trash can with relationships than to the repair shop with relationships. And once a relationship is damaged badly, we think there's nothing else to do with that relationship other than to throw it away. And I mean, we're good at throwing away relationships. We will unfriend you in a minute. I mean, we'll unfriend you, we'll block you, and for some of you all, you figured out how to unfamily some people. <laughs> you just, you, you, you're not, you don't even want to be related to them anymore because you've learned how to uh, unfamily people because we're good with throwing or discarding relationships. Your role is not doing too good, by the way. They're, they're but then Jesus takes us today by way of this sermon and says, I need you to revisit those relationships that have been discarded or thrown into the trash can. And I need you to consider that I am interested in your heavenly relation, your earthly relationship so much that you can't have a good heavenly relationship if you don't have good earthly relationships. And so we find Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount, the best preacher who've ever preached, and he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount. You probably know the part about the Beatitudes, blessed is the person who does this, blessed are they who 
who do these things. But then he gets to this other part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he deals with, uh, he gives this thematic uh, discourse of instructions of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to really be a Christian and to be Christ-like and what it looks like to be uh, a citizen of, of this alternative community where we live for justice and for these uh, transformed social relationships, what it looks like to really be saved. And in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, he, he takes in this section uh, these six interpretations of Scripture, and he starts unpacking them. There are these prohibitions that we call the Ten Commandments. And he takes one that says, thou shall not commit murder. And then he throws a curveball of our understanding of that commandment. And he says, not only should you not commit murder, let's deal with the anger behind it. Um, because, and then he goes on and gives another. He says, thou should not. I know you said thou should not commit adultery, but let's deal with the lust. Before you get to the adultery, uh, I'm about to preach as soon as you decide to help me. And this is what he's saying, that if you don't attend to murder until you're mad enough to murder, you probably waited a tad bit too late. <laughs> and so let's deal with the anger that drives you to want to take somebody out. If you don't deal with adultery until you're about to commit it, you're probably too late. Let's deal with the lust that got you there in the first place. I'm waiting on you. And so what he says to us about this murder situation is let's bag up from murder just for a moment. And let's deal with the anger behind the murder and behind these bad feelings. And he says, so if you find yourself at the altar giving a gift at the altar, and if you remember, that a brother or a sister has something against you, leave your gift up against the altar, go find your brother or sister that has the issue with you, and first be reconciled to them, then come back, yes, and then offer your gift. He's inviting some of us to go to the trash can, but we've thrown some of these people away. And dig them back out. Preach Alexander. And, and this is what he says. Look where he catches us. He's talking to worshipers, not people at home, not people in the street. But let me talk to the people who got up this morning, got dressed on their off day, and drove to a building, and for the last hour and a half has had their hands up in the air, tears in their eyes, proclaiming their love for a Savior that we call Jesus. Let me talk to the one who've been praying, who's been on their knees, who are at the altar. Let me talk to worshipers and let me see if their worship is really real or not, authentic or not, or genuine or not. I'll preach when you jump in. And that is, let me see if you're willing to pause your worship to attend to your earthly relationships because you can't get to God by bypassing me. I have to love my brother and my sister and he says, how can you say you love me and you've never seen me before and hate your brother or sister whom you see daily? Our argument today is your worship is not real if you can't handle earthly relationships. Your role is doing better. Let me push this. And that is, God is not fooled by pretty worship and mean saints after church. Because some of us know how to be holy in a sanctuary, but hellish in the streets. 
And he says, you can't sing a song pretty enough, pray a prayer powerful enough, preach a sermon good enough that makes me ignore that you don't speak to your own brother or sister. So what he invites us to do is to hit pause on our dance, pause on our shout, pause on our song, and attend to relationships that have gone bad. Worshiping God with preachers in our relationship is like offering him dinner, but there's nothing on the plate. And many of us keep giving him empty worship because we like to talk about Jesus. We just don't like being like him. And you have Christians that's good at talking about Christianity, but struggle with being like Jesus. Preach Alexander. So he causes us to hit Paul. And let's see. If you are willing to do the work of fixing a bad relationship. Because how many of us are good in here? We just love Jesus, but we're still not going to speak to that shady coworker. We love Jesus, but we're still done with that trifling family member. We love Jesus, but we don't even like all the church members we go to church with. You help me in just a minute. And and so he says, hit pause, and let's address your worship practices. And by the way, Jesus is a master teacher. He's teaching to Jews, and here's what he understands. He understands that they know that sacrifice was not atonement for deliberate sins, and sacrifice had to include confession. And true repentance, and true repentance involved an attempt to rectify what was wrong. If you don't try to fix it, you're not really sorry. So he says, interrupt. I want you to pause your worship. And I want you to challenge your practice of worship to see if you remember a faulty relationship, are you willing to fix it? Now, by the way, lift your right hand. Lift your right hand. Do you promise to tell the whole truth, number of truths to help you, God, say, I do? Now, don't commit perjury. There's bad if things happen to you or you commit perjury. Let me show you I have the right sermon, and I want you to stand up if this is you. When I was reading the scripture about if there's a brother or a sister that has an ought or has something against you, many of you, the Lord put a name across your mind while I was reading. Stand up. Don't lie. You've already been sworn in. It came across, while I was reading, it came right across your mind. Keep standing. Keep standing. For those of you who are standing, let me tell you something. Before I even preached the sermon, he had to give you your name because you're so stubborn. He knew it was going to take the whole sermon just to convince you to talk to him. <laughs> and he gave you the name. I didn't give you the name. And he says, if you're in worship, Watch this now. And I run a name by you. Don't try to shake it off. Because some of you are in worship and you thought they were happy with worship service like this. They were, like, they were like, nope, nope, nope. Thank you, Jesus. But nope, I love you, but I ain't going to do it. I just want to let y'all know I had the right sermon. Sit down. Some of you, that the name did not come while I was reading the scripture. But since I've been talking, you've thought about two names. Just hold your hand up. And then some of you haven't thought about anything. You might be the name. <laughs> you just might 
be the problem. <laughs> so he interrupts our worship, but this is what he shows us about real worship. Real worship does not just make us shout and dance and run. You cannot go into the presence of a holy God and see how holy he is and not realize how undone you are. There's something about worship that reminds you of how messed up you really are. That's why some of us cry in worship, not because we're all that. We're still amazed that a holy God will let a messed up person like me lift my hand. That's why some of you should have been standing up for the moment you came in church. I can't believe he let me in. I can't believe he let me lift my hands. I can't believe he let me lift my voice. I'm in awe of everything I've done, and he still put me on the wake-up list this morning. So when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, i got to worship him. Look at your neighbor and say, I know me better than you know me. And I'm amazed he still loves me like he loves me. But real worship is not that I'm all of that. Real worship is I realize how little I am, how big God is, and he still loves me so much. And so real worship is if he can love me like this, I have to attend to the challenges he gives me in worship. Not so I can leave and say, oh, that was good worship, or oh, Alexander, preach good. I have to live up to the challenges I get while in worship. Am I preaching yet? Uh, and, and, and good, because some people are trying to be quiet, because like, if I be quiet, he, maybe he'll find another sermon. This is all I got up here. It's not like I'm going to open the Bible and change sermons. This is it, dog. You might as well come on up me. This is all I got. Look at the text, look at the text, look at the text. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember, and by the way, when you're worshiping, it's not on you for the memory part. It is on you to respond, though. When the Lord brings something back to your memory, (laughs) attend to it. Watch this. If you remember while worshiping, while telling Jesus how much you love him, how much you appreciate him, that there's a brother or sister who has something against you. Watch this now. Leave your gift at the altar. So this is not an either or. This is a both and. Don't take your gift. (laughs) I'm going to hold on to this till I get this right. (laughs) Leave it here. Go fix it, and here's what he says, and do it first. So not, it's not only a matter of pause. It's not only a matter of challenging our worship practices, but it's also a matter of making it a priority. Don't be getting around to it. Or if when I was growing up in the neighborhood I'm from, we say, don't be fixing to do it. And for all you deep saints, don't be still praying about it. I, who are you praying to? The same Jesus just told you to fix it? I wish I had some. Look down your row and say, you better help the preacher right there. You and so many of us in the name of not of being disobedient, disobedient will hide it under the auspices of I'm still praying about it. God's still working on me. If God is working on you, you would be obeying him and not still down on your knees asking him about something he's already answered. Whew. 
Lean in. Lean, lean in. Lean in. Are you ready? I, I didn't say look up. I said lean in. He wants you to make it priority. Put it on the top of your list of things to do this week. Because, by the way, late obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So my great-grandmother was a little bit Indian woman named Lula, and uh, we called her Ma. And whenever Ma would tell us to do something, she would say, boy, gal. She, I don't know if she knew any of our names. It was just boy, gal. And, um, and she would say, boy, go do this. And not only did she expect you to do it, but then she put a speedometer on your feet to see how fast they were moving. And if they didn't move fast, she would clap her little hands and say, and make haste. <laughs> make haste meant speed up. Moving slow could be detriment to your health. I wish I had some help in here. And, and you know it because if you ever raise a teenager, their way of disobeying you sometimes is not to do it. Just go real slow. Come here. Hurry up. Take out the trash. Because slow is sometimes my way of telling you, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to. Slow is my way of finding a way to disobey you without saying I'm disobeying you. So when you leave here and three days later, you still have not worked on this relationship, you're doing the slow walk on Jesus. I wish I had my gang. Look at your roar and tell your roar if he was preaching anything else, we would have stood up by now. If he was preaching anything else, y'all would have been standing up, pointing at me, saying, you preaching. But today y'all like, okay. Some of y'all wait on that musician. Where's that guy who plays and makes him hurry up? He ain't coming today. <laughs> You're like, where's that person who hit the keyboard? He starts jumping and we out of here. It ain't happening. Scoot up. Are you ready? Somebody say, make it a priority. Because what I will do is tell Jesus, I won't tell Jesus I'm not going to do it. I'll just slow around about doing it. Then there's not only this matter of hidden pause, there's not only this matter of the practice of our worship, and not only the matter of making it a priority, but it's also the matter of the price we have to pay to become vulnerable to do it. This is a real big price. I don't know about you, but look at the text. It says, now, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, this is where I started struggling. It does not say if I have something against them. <laughs> it says if they have something against me. Now, don't act like that ain't rough. If I got something against you and the Lord tells me, then I say, okay, I got to go and let it go. Let me go. But if I have, if you remember, that means that something happened in this relationship and it was once a relationship and it went bad. And obviously it was bad enough that it left you with a memory of it. So it's not something you're not aware of. If you remember there is an issue going on, I want you to go to them. I want you to take the initiative to go pursue somebody who's mad or angry or hates you. 
that goes against everything, against everybody on your row. Not you, but your neighbor saying, you telling me, if somebody has a problem with me, and I don't have a problem, they have the problem that I'm supposed to go find the person who does not like me and do something to make them better? <laughs> Y'all struggling right now. Watch, come here. Here's the other issue. The problem with most of us is, this is what our problem is. We are uh, subjected or we subject ourselves to the authority of other people's emotions. Uh-huh. What, do you, what do you mean? We often let your emotion dictate how I feel. What do you mean? So when you mad at me, I'm mad at you. Because I'm mad at you for being mad at me. Oh, don't leave me out here by myself. If you're not speaking to me, guess what? I'm not speaking to you. If you can't smile at me, look. <laughs> As a matter of fact, how many of you married? Wave your hand. Mar been married? Just wave your hand. G have you ever come home and discovered in some, at some point in your talking and smiling that your spouse was angry? And have you ever got mad at them because they were mad at you and you didn't even know if they were mad at But have you ever also been mad at yourself for being nice and didn't know we weren't talking? You just smiling and talking, and they like, and then you're like, oh, we're not talking back. Matter of fact, give me my high back. I didn't know we weren't talking. If I knew we weren't talking, I wouldn't have been in here smiling and grinning at you. I want my smile back, my good morning back. I want to be mad like you. Since you mad, guess what? I'm mad because you don't have a right to be mad at me. So now we both mad. You know what you're supposed to say when I'm preaching. You walk by somebody at work and speak the first time, and they don't speak. You're like, oh, maybe they didn't hear me. <laughs> the next time, you're like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, do I have laryngitis or something? Then next time y'all touch each other, nobody says anything. <laughs> You're like, why? Because we, are, we subject ourselves to the authority of other people's emotions. So often this scripture is hard for us to carry out because I struggle with being kind to meanness. I struggle with being gracious to rudeness. I struggle with being peaceable to anger. And so most often, I what, listen, I match your energy. I wish I had some help in here. I give you the same vibe. Talk to me, somebody. So what we do is we match you. So you mad, I'm going to be madder. You quiet, watch me show you what quiet is. You don't deal with me, watch me go the other way. And what the Lord is saying is, if you really are a Christian, not only do you not dodge them, you approach them. And not only do you approach them, but you approach them opposite of their 
energy. Pretend like you don't even know they're mad. You're going trying to make it better and I'm not taking my lead from you because you're not my Christ. Jesus is. And if I take my lead from you, that means you're my master and you didn't die on a hill called Calvary for me. So I can't let you be my master. You don't supposed to do that yet. Somebody paid you. Get out there. Get out there. Make him hurry up. <laughs> Are you ready? Even if you've done nothing. Even if you're not wrong. Even if you're not at fault, who are we? Look back at the scripture says, if they have something against you, they didn't say if you did something wrong. Because many of us struggle with entreating someone when we don't feel like we've done anything wrong. Often we leave you to your own emotions. We say, it's you with the problem. It's you that need to get over it. I don't have a problem. I wish I had some help in here. <sighs> Let me see if I can put it another way. Uh, look at the text. Verse 21. Look at verse 21. If you, heard, if you heard that, it was to those of ancient times, you should not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable of judgment to judgment. But I say to you, uh, uh, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Watch. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. Keep going. And I say, of, say it to you, you say fool, you will be liable of hell's fire. Watch this now. So he switches audiences. He first talks to the one who's angry. And he says, These, this anger is going to get you in trouble. I'm about to preach. But then he switches audience and says, and to the one who's the object of the anger, go free them from that so they don't get in trouble with me. You're not going to them for you. You're going to them because you don't want to be responsible for somebody being in trouble with God because they can't stand you. Oh, wow. Come on, help me just for a moment. He's saying maybe they weren't at worship. Maybe they don't know me like you know me. Maybe they don't pray like you pray. Maybe they don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. Come here, somebody. They were not at the altar, so I could not give them a mandate to go set themselves free because they didn't come for the freedom. But since you're here, you get what you need and go and set them free. Don't let anybody go to hell over you. Newsflash, you ain't worth that. I'm going to let you practice right now. I'm going to let you practice. Look at your neighbor. This is not the person I hope that you're, that's mad at you, but just in case. 
Hey, we can kill two birds with one stone right in here today. Look at them and say, I'm not worth you being in trouble with God. Say it a little bit louder. Say, I'm not worth you going to hell. So whatever I did, allow me to make it better. Because I, I do not want to be responsible for anybody being in trouble with God over me. He's saying, free them. Maybe the anger, maybe the hatred has gotten them so they can't get out. He's saying, repeat after me, free them. Help them out of this fire. It's a picture of someone trapped in a house fire, but you having the key to the door. So when you say, that's their problem, you're saying, let them burn. When you say, that's, not, that's, that's their issue, you're saying, let them burn. And all God is saying is they're filled with rage. But since you love me, I've handed you the key. Go to that door. Am I preaching yet? And get them out of there. Don't let them burn and you got the key to make it better. Y'all make me work hard and I plan on working. Let's sum this up. Are y'all ready? So before you go, let me help you with something. So, so it says go. So, so when you go, it, that's what the text says, go. Let's talk about before you go. Before you go, pray first. Since you're at the altar, go on and pray. Because you do know, since they were mad the last time you met them, we don't want you to reoffend. Because we sometimes go with our defenses when we know you already don't like us. So I need some of y'all to quit, t- put your phone down right now because you're in here right now. We need to talk soon this church is over. <laughs> this is going on long enough. No, no, no. <laughs> you're about to make somebody <laughs> hate you more. Before you do anything, stop and pray. Then let's talk about something. And I need you to tell the truth. Come on, school, help, help a brother out. You struggle with forgiving people when they don't come to you right. Let me show you some of the things we struggle with when you don't come to you right. When you come to get forgiveness, confess it without an excuse. One of the worst things can happen when somebody's trying to get forgiveness, they start making excuses on why they did it. And let me tell you something about this term called friendly fire. I don't believe in the term called friendly fire. That means I shot you, but I didn't mean to. I don't care whether you meant to or not. If I got shot, I'm still shot. And I don't know why anybody called it friendly fire. What's friendly about getting shot? Because some of us say, well, I didn't mean it. It does not matter. If I got hurt in the process, whether you meant it or not, a bullet is a bullet. Tell your role, one of us is going to have to stand up and help him. It might not be me, but one of us is going to have to stand up and help him. 
just tell them my legs hurt right now, but one of us is going to have to get up and help them. The other is offer a genuine apology. An apology involves taking responsibility and expressing remorse. You may not say the words, I'm sorry. Maybe that's not your words. But please make sure it's genuine. Hallelujah. Not like that mama, sorry, when, they, when your brothers and sisters get into each other and they say, say sorry. And you just say sorry. <laughs> Hug them. Hug them like you mean it before I beat you. So we both know we're only hugging each other so she can walk away. Then when you walk away, I'm going to push you anyway. But anyway and so, and so, so really, really own it. Then the next one is, please take note of my pain. There's nothing more insulting than you minimizing how you made me feel. That's not what I said. We're not talking about what you said. We're talking about how I felt. That's not what I meant. We're not talking about what you meant. We're talking about how I felt. Then here's what I need you to do. I need you to value earthly relationships over the damage. People are more important than whatever the issue is. Here's another one. Are you ready? Equalize by restitution. What do you mean? See if there's anything you can do to make it better. If somebody has wronged you, one of the best things to do is say, what can I do to make it better? Is there anything I can do to make it better? Some of y'all eyebrows went up like, wait a minute, anything? <laughs> y'all some real folks. I just anything? That doesn't mean you're going to do anything, but if they give you something you can't do, at least you can negotiate and say, well, I can't do that, but let's talk about what I can do to make it better. Are y'all ready? Then make sure you say, I'll never do it again. One of the problems with forgiveness is when I don't think you're going to stop doing what you're doing. Oh, Then the other thing is, seek forgiveness. Here's what you do. Just ask. Some people are waiting on you to say, please forgive me. Now, here's where it gets rough in my closing point. You got to swallow pride. You might get choked a little bit. But you cannot be like Jesus and prideful. Because many of us struggle with being a Christian because of pride. And here's what, let me show you how prideful we are. The idea that you're mad at perfect me. I don't do anything wrong. I never say the wrong words. I never do the wrong thing. So how dare you be mad at me because I'm too perfect for somebody to be mad at? Oh, I wish I had some help in here. Because many of us act like it's impossible, improbable that I've ever offended anybody. But you know you well enough to know you can offend somebody without trying. Let me just take a take roll for a moment. How many of you know you got a slick mouth? How many know your tongue will say something slick before you have time to even catch it? I wish I had some help in here. Some of your mouth is, some of y'all have such a quick tongue, it's not until somebody grabs their heart you realize you said something. You're like, you're like oh, what did I say? Because your mouth will come back and clap back before they can even get it out good. Talk to me, somebody. How many know your tongue is real? Come, don't leave me out of here. I need 30 of y'all to say, you preaching to me now, Reverend. 
this tongue of mine will say stuff. I had one person. I need the other 29 to jump up. This tongue of mine will say stuff before my mind has time to grab it. And the only reason I know I said it is because you start hyperventilating like, <gasps> then I'm like, oh, what I say? And then some of us not only have a quick tongue, some of us can be offensive with our facial expressions. We know how to tell you to shut up without ever parting our lips. Talk to me, somebody. Is there anybody know your face can do a whole lot of talking? I'm waiting on you. Is there anybody know your face can do a whole lot of talking? You can have a whole conversation with somebody. I can tell you you dumb. I can tell you I can't stand you. I can tell you I wish you would. And I can do it all without ever parting my, guess what? I got it from my mom. Glad she here today. I was Guess where I learned this? Sitting in church while she's in the choir stand. We're in the back of the church. She can lean over and say, say another word. I will come out of this choir stand, grab you, beat you, throw you back in this church. And she never moved her lips. So when I got grown, guess what? I tried. Try me. <laughs> so you can be offensive without even trying. But not only can you be offensive without even trying, sometimes we're offensive and we meant to be. Every time we offended you was not an accident. I was laying up at 2.30 in the morning saying, wait till I see that joke. If it wasn't 2.30, I called him right now. I wish I had some help in here. Because sometimes folks say, when you do wrong, you can't sleep. No, sometimes I can't sleep because I didn't get a chance to see it yet. And I'm laying there saying, oh, I'm getting this off of me. <laughs> it ain't going to be no sleep till I say this. I wish I had somebody helping me. And as a matter of fact, when you call them, you're like, are you busy? They say a little. No, call me back when you can talk. <laughs> I need your undivided attention. Sometimes our pride is we don't admit we can be offensive. So let's, let's sum this up. While you're preparing to send flowers and send cards. And there is no promise they're going to receive it. But you don't get blessed by their reaction. You get blessed by your obedience. When you get back down on your knees, God says, I can't grade you, and you're not responsible for others' reaction to you. You're just responsible for obeying me. So let's get this right. You want me to leave the comforts of my life, go chase somebody, to make it right with them, although I didn't do anything wrong, knock on their door, with the risk of them rejecting me and lay my life on the line so they can get better. Y'all moving slow. Let's try it again. You want me to leave the comfort of my life. You almost there. Tell your role he's going somewhere. Chase after you, although you got the problem. Knock on your door, although you might reject me, and then lay my life down. So you can get better. I ain't got all morning. That's what he did for us 2,000 years ago. Took off glory. Put on humanity. Chased after us. Although we were the one wrong. 
knocked on our door to make us better, although we could reject him. And then one Friday, on a hill called Calvary, laid his life down just so I could get better. Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, hey neighbor, all he's asking you to do is to do for somebody else what he's already did for you. You didn't say it right. Shake their hand and say, hey neighbor, all he wants you to do is do for somebody what he did for you. He looked beyond your phone. He looked beyond your fault and he saw your deeds. Died one Friday, got up one Sunday. Turn around and find one more person. Please turn around and find one more person and tell him if he can forgive me. And I know what I've done. We can forgive anybody. Cause if it had not been, For the Lord on my side. Put your hand on your chest and say, He did it for me one day. He did it for me one day. Just a look at now that He did it for me one day. He came chasing after me one day. He did it for me one day. person and tell them I'm here because of grace I'm here because of grace amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wreck like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see somebody shout grace did it grace did it